In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host, Jack. Jack, how are you? I'm good. Good. Enjoying the nice day, so uh, looking forward to this. Yeah, we've got an absolute superstar on the line today. We promised you big, big guests. And we've got someone from the NFL on today. We have got the one, the only, Lance Zerline. Did I say that correct? You did. You did. Good job. Thank you. So, you are the NFL draft analyst for NFL.com. Lance, where in the world are you today? I'm in Houston in my little football office here. Um, I'd show you around, but it's, there's not much in this office. This is where I get all my NFL stuff done. So that's where I'm right now, just in my football office, just going to do a little work and then uh, head off to the house. And uh, I must say, please don't think I'm offending you, but you look like a slim Dorsey today. you got the <laughs> no, the hat. Whenever I battle rap, I call myself Slim Dorsey. <laughs> That's my battle rap name, actually. Okay, brilliant. Good. And um, what's your views on uh, UK soccer? Do you call it football soccer? I call it soccer. Yeah, it's just, you know, you can't call it football in, in the States. People don't look kindly on that. So. <laughs> okay. I just call it, I call it soccer. And, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a big fan. I've, I've been following um, inter- international soccer – uh, come World Cup time since 98, great, great final. Well, it wasn't a great final. It was Brazil, France. It's the very first time that I remember really locking in. A, a little bit in 94 when Roberto Baggio just airmailed a free kick um, in, in, in the finals. But, uh, I, yes, I've started locking in since 98. And so I've always been into the World Cup. And I always said, I need to get into the Premier League so I have something else to follow. I need to get into the Premier League. And I really I didn't do it until five years ago. Um, five, maybe six years ago, I started following Everton. I took a quiz online to see which team best, you know, best represented who I was. And so I'm not into, look, I'm not into the teams that are, that, that have it easy. You clearly aren't either because you're Browns fans, but I'm not into the easiest trip to the top. So the questions would come, you know, how the, do you want the highest payroll? Or I'm like, I want competitive payroll, but I didn't want the high, I don't want it to be, you know, the, the, the Yankees and the Red Sox of, you know, professional baseball. That, I didn't want it to be like that. What kind of stadium is important to you? What kind of fan base? Blue collar, you know, love the team and are not bandwagon fans. Just, so I answered all these questions, and then it came up, and it said you're best suited by a large margin or relatively large with, with Everton. And I thought, okay, great. I'll lock in with Everton. And I knew Landon Donovan had played there. And, you know, at that time, Tim uh, – Tim Howard? Yeah, Tim Howard was on the team. He was actually the goalkeeper at that particular point. And so I said, great, you know, I'll lock in with Everton. I'll really jump into it. And it must be a little bit like the feeling, because my wife has already said, why are you, how are you an Everton fan? You didn't grow up with them. How do you just start being a fan? I said, how do you start being a fan for any team? I mean, I follow the Houston Texans. They just started in 2002. So people had to start right when they started. 
you guys started being Browns fans. When did you become a Browns fan? When did you decide, you know, I need to hook up with the Browns? Because not a lot of people say that in the States unless you're in Cleveland. So, yeah, it all started for me, um, Lance, um, 15 years ago. Uh, my friend came back with Browns T-shirts for my name, Brown. And so I used to wear Browns T-shirts around casual clothes. And then obviously I started watching NFL, a bit like maybe you watching um, EPL. Yeah. And I did some quick research. My name's Paul Brown. And there's only one founder right. at the beginning of the Browns. So I had a choice. I'd go Bengals or Browns because the Bengals have the Paul Brown Stadium. But I don't, I mean, I feel like you made the right choice, believe it or not. Yeah. I wasn't, <laughs> it was a long road to get there, but I feel like the Browns are doing this. And uh, I think the Bengals are always kind of in a consistent fluctuation there and kind of lower to mid, we would call it middle to lower middle table if we were talking Premier League. Uh, I love my surname Brown, so it had to yeah. be the Browns. So, um, uh, so it's that simple. It was just that story started. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I took away. a quiz for my for my soccer affiliation. So what do I know? I can tell you this: as soon as I had my first Everton game that I watched, we had a lead and we lost. We were in um, it was Leicester City when they had first come up from relegation, and we had a lead two one and gave up the tying goal in the last 40 seconds of, of added time. And I thought, God, this is like being a Houston Texan fan. And since that moment, it's felt exactly the same. I, I absolutely picked the right team. Big hopes before the season, disappointments in midst. You get your hopes up in the middle of the season. And then by the, you know, the, after the midpoint of the season and towards the end, you realize, yeah, it's not going to happen again. It's the exact same as being a Texans fan, being an Everton fan, the exact same. It's really interesting. The story I told you about the guy wearing Buy Me the T-shirts. Yeah. He is an Everton fan. Now, <laughs> is he really? Yeah. Now, when Everton got into Europe, I'm going to guess it was around 2004 for the very first time, me and him flew out to the Bucharest in Romania to watch a game where Everton were probably the favourites and they lost 5-1. And seeing all the Everton fans getting beaten up by Romanians <laughs> made me quite obvious that I don't want to be an Everton fan. So, um, but yeah, that's what I love about football. Our football is there's lots of stories. And I'm sure, talking to yourself, I, I'll say this to everyone, me and, your, me and Lance and Jack were talking earlier, and the story yeah. about your dad earlier was amazing. And, you know, we've all got deep stories about why we do things and why we love sports. And I think that's amazing. So yeah. I'll do my story on uh, UK football soccer first. Uh, yeah. Being a young person, my dad had been following Chelsea since he was a kid. Um, he had just gone to all the London teams because sort of back when he was growing up, you got on a train with your mates on the morning, got to London. And it was like, which team do we fancy going to see? Turn up, pay on the door, you can go in. And it just seems ridiculous in the modern day when you're playing going to a game a month or two months in advance. So uh, when I was younger, he said, you've got two options, Jack. You can be a Chelsea fan or you can go live in the shed. And uh, <laughs> it was as simple as that. I chose right. And uh, literally, ever since I started going to Chelsea, it's been success, success, success. I think it was something insane. Like um, my first hundred games, I saw four losses. It was uh, nuts. Uh, but 
I can't complain. And then Browns was the complete opposite. Um, was a kid, went over to the States, uh, turned on a game when I was younger, and it was uh, New England versus uh, Miami Dolphins. So I was like, England in the name over Miami. I'm going to be a New England fan. So yeah. then getting more into the NFL, um, it was like, you can't just be the team that people will be like, are you New England because they win everything? It was like, I'll, I'll look for another team. And then two and a bit years ago, uh, Paul D. Podesta came over and joined the Browns. And I was like, I'm a Browns fan. Uh, just that moment. And uh, yeah, first two years, you win one game. But how, how did you know about D. Podesta since he came over from baseball? Why would you know about him? Because of uh, watching the film Moneyball, reading Moneyball, the analytics oh, side. Yeah. And I was sat there as sort of the Browns fan, almost going, I don't mind the losing. I want to lose. As we're talking about the Bengals flatlining and they're sort of that team that I either want to be really good or I want to suck bad enough that I get the really early picks and you can then be good in the future. And the last thing I'd want is a franchise that goes sort of six to eight wins a season because you sat there pulling your hair out going, we're never going to win it but we're never going to lose bad enough. So uh, I love the plan. I was gutted when Sashi got sacked, but uh, hey, the uh, reaping the benefits now, um, the team stacked. Yeah, you know, um, speaking of being an, a Texan and Everton fan, the big difference is I, I have come to realize after the first three years, I, despite having Lukaku and he was a great goal scorer and Ross Barkley was kind of a disappointment during a lot of that time, They'd spend money, and Roberto Martinez gave way to, to, to Ronald Koeman. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, this, this feels different. And I, I now realize what everyone told me going in is Everton will never it's, – it's probably I'm, – I'm hoping to get into the top six, but it's, that's a hard enough that, – that's the goal. Getting in the top four just isn't going to happen unless something massive happens – from a spending standpoint and ownership standpoint in football, that's not the case. And that's, that's the alluring thing about the NFL is that the Browns can win a Super Bowl within two years. I mean, it's, it's possible based on their roster and how Baker played at least in game one, they could potentially win a Super Bowl in two years. Other than Leicester city's miraculous run, that's not going to, I mean, the best teams always win in, in, in Premier League, and I realize I'm banging my head against the wall with both my Texans team and my Everton squad because you're right. There is something about being in the middle that is almost worse than being really, really bad because the hope you have when you're really, really bad is, is you renew it every year. When you're in the middle or you're in the lower middle, it's, it's almost like a, a gray cloud that, never, that you never get out from under. It's hard to get out from under it. Uh, a lot of people that work with me actually do ask me the question, so Paul, what is this draft thing? And I try and explain it to them, and they actually really like the concept of the way yeah. that the, um, the worst team gets the first pick, to always give that injection to make it um, a, a fair league. Because obviously, uh, in, the, in soccer, foot, English football, we constantly see whoever's got the most money, more than right. likely, will do well. And then yeah. you have your success stories of like your Leicester, your Burnley recently, blah, 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 the, of the teams that are fighting and doing well and overachieving. But yeah, we, we, as English guys, we really love the idea of the NFL and the way that it constantly keeps having cycles. Yeah, parity. I mean, their, their, their league is designed to, to promote parity from the way that they share the money. You know, uh, Premier League is more like baseball in, in, the, in the States in that 
you have a chance. New York will always have a better TV deal, a better radio deal, better media deal. It's, they're always going to have more revenue coming in. And so uh, in football, Green Bay can compete with anybody else. In baseball, it, the Milwaukee Brewers are not going to compete with everybody else. They have to be unbelievably good at what they do. It's why Moneyball exists in the first place is because it was necessary to, to, to battle against teams that could just buy all the talent. You had to find a way to be unbelievable at recognizing talent, evaluating talent, and getting the most value out of the money that you spend. Uh, in football, I mean, you know, you always have to be prudent with your money, but in the NFL with the draft, you, know, you think about that. They understood that injecting – now, there's a common pool coming from college football, but, you know, you're built from the college level, from the, from the school level, which may seem crazy when you think about how it's done in the U.K. because, like you said, you know, you're, 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 you're in an academy early on, and you're grown from 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 the you know from youth all the way up with the idea that you're probably going to play for a particular club. Things can happen, obviously, but you don't you don't get your talent base from universities. That it doesn't happen that way. It's a completely different setup. So there's no real way that you could take a, a, a large sample of players, a large block of players and then have a draft. Now, would it be incredible if you could? Oh, I think the Premier League would be incredible if you had those kinds of ups and downs in the parity that the NFL had. I think it would, I mean, I think it would be better. I don't, who am I to talk about, you know, a league that I've only been following for about six years, but I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with parity at all because the having fan bases excited with a chance to win a championship, it's why there can be podcasts like this. It's why there can be fan sites, if you don't think you have any chance of being good in the future or near future, you know, it just, it makes a, you're cheering for your team because of blind loyalty, but you guys have a lot more blind loyalty, I think, in the UK. We have a lot more bandwagon jumpers, and they only want to jump on the teams. A new generation of younger people only want the easiest trip possible. Give me the best teams, and I'll stay with the best teams. That's why you have people who follow LeBron James around Wherever he plays, that's their favorite team. And I, I'm just – that's not me. I didn't grow up that way. Now, I'd, I'd love to see sort of the NFL model in uh, soccer. But the thing is where the NFL is the only real top league in the world, which is American football, whereas if you put in salary caps and things in the Premier League, all the best talent goes to Spain, it goes to yeah. Germany, and you lose it all. And it's a sport that never could get there. And uh, no, I think it's what makes the NFL – um, so special of it's the only place to really go and watch the best players in a particular sport and you can't say that for many sports around the world yeah it's kind of it's funny because looking from my American vantage point of the American teams and the way it's done soccer's that one that's kind of maddening to me because I think man I would love to see right now um, Ronaldo taking on you know watch Ronaldo and Messi taking on Lukaku and that's why the World Cup I love you know, everyone comes together, but it's, it is, it, it's got to be a little maddening to say, well, La Liga's got these guys and Bundesliga has these guys. You know, I know China's trying to make a big drive to get a lot of the best players. And if that happens, I think it's going to dilute the superstar, you know, base overseas even more potentially, because it's just going to be a cash grab, obvious, obviously. Um, there have been attempts, as you guys probably know, to start up other leagues, the, the, the USFL in the 80s here. 
uh, Vince McMahon with the XFL, you know, the rest of the big wrestling guy tried to start the XFL that didn't work. And now there's a couple other leagues that are in play, but no one's ever going to really compete with the NFL. I think what they want to do is offer another product that, for the football fan. And I think everyone's goal should be to eventually become a partner for the NFL so that they have, you know, a, a true minor league system to develop players with, with, with the second, as opposed to just stashing them on practice squad, let's get these guys some reps. Let's get them in competition and some games. And I think, you know, that could eventually happen if somebody is smart enough to just recognize that that's the prize, not trying to sell a bunch of tickets and make a bunch of money. Your money's going to have to come from partnering with the NFL and being the NFL's minor league because you're never going to beat the NFL out. That's, that's not going to happen in football. It is, it is crazy when you look at a football team. You have, I don't know, let's say under 10s all the way up to under 23s. So you've got 12 teams there. You've got your women's teams. You've got your vets, your old old people playing football. There's so many different teams within a club. And really? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. These, um, um, we, every, every major team will have multiple teams, multiple academies at each level. Huge pyramid system into their starting eleven. So even the women's is the, the women's leagues are they, they're big overseas? Not yet, but they're not big. But I mean, are they robust? The the one in England at the top flight is growing because as clubs sort of realise from a money making perspective, there can be revenue generation there. Yeah, starting to see that change, and they're looking to promote it more. Um, and it all it revolves around money uh, with any sports business of. Um, if clubs think they can bring in more money by having a women's team, they're investing in it. And it's, yeah, it's probably not turning profit now, but they're looking at it as we can make money off this. So, uh, no, there's sort of, it's insane the amount of teams of your women's and the whole youth system with that, the men's and the whole youth system with that. And it's, uh, it's just a massive growing business. And yeah, whereas in America, there's the college system to develop. It's very much like, no, we're going to do it ourselves. And uh, then we'll just spend our money and steal all the best talent from everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, let, let's move on because tomorrow morning we're going to have loads of fans complaining we're talking far too much soccer, Jack. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. They're going to say, look, okay, we're listening to two English guys. Well, at least speak about American football, please, or we're going to unsubscribe. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. All right, excellent. Um, first question for you. If you were Dorsey for the day, what would you do? Something positive, not sacking someone's. What would you do, Lance? Mm, well, he's already made Baker the starter, so that's out. I would say, I if I could be John Dorsey for the day, you know what I would do? I would do anything and everything I could to extend the contracts of Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith uh, on your own staff, because I think those two guys are phenomenal. I think they're going to be a big part of that culture that is coming over from the Green Bay Packers over to the Browns. And I think it's important that Dorsey have guys who think like him and who see things similar to him, but who are not afraid to have a, a different opinion, you know, because they're, they're confident to speak their minds because they know him really well. I think it's really important to have those guys locked in as long as you can, because as long as I think three very good football people and Alonzo Highsmith, Elliot Wolf and John Dorsey, I think the Browns are going to be in really, really good shape. Um, all of them are open to a lot of different, you know, they're called football guys. And a lot of the analytics fans in Cleveland weren't happy about Sashi 
uh, Sashi Brown getting getting fired. But at the same time, you know, I, I knew that John Dorsey was going to make good football picks. I mean, he does know how to pick good players, and and I think that they can still utilize the data and the analytics that are inside the building. Um, they may process it differently, or they may not put as much weight into certain things. But John Dorsey was really big into the physical analytics when it comes to finding players and, and looking for certain types of players. The height, weight, speed, the physical measurements. There's certain explosion measurements he likes. That's a that's more of a um, more of a, a biophysical, or, or you know, it's it, it's more of a, a, a physical tracking and development and, and predictive analytics that he is really into. Not so much statistical. He'll look at the stats and everything, but he wants to find a certain type of football player that's going to be the most explosive that he can find because those are the guys who win, you know, championships. So when he drafted Baker, that was a surprise in the football draft community because he is known as, as a height, weight, speed type drafter. And here's a six-foot quarterback barely six foot quarterback. And then with the fourth pick with Bradley Chubb on the, on the board, he drafts an undersized cornerback who probably isn't going to play outside as much or, or will have, may, could struggle in matching up against bigger receivers. That's not the height, weight, speed model. I mean, there's lots of speed there for Denzel Ward, but for John Dorsey to step outside of his comfort zone and draft two guys that are not big guys, but they're really good productive football players that told you that he was willing to, I think work within the structure of every bit of information he had from analytics to other voices in the room. He wanted to find the best players to turn the Cleveland Browns around. And I can tell you right now, I thought Darnold should have been their first pick. I thought Chubb should have been their fourth pick so far. Darnold was outplayed, clearly outplayed by Baker. And, and right now Denzel Ward looks like a fantastic pick with the number four pick. So, so far so good for John Dorsey. Yeah, I think it's trying to find that balance of the analytics and the football guys, just to use the crew term, um, to get that balance right. Because I love the idea of the trading back, building more picks. I'd love to have a team that every year has three first round picks, two seconds and two thirds. And I think if you would have traded back that fourth, it was easy to build that constant amount because it is a turkey shoot when you strip it down to it the draft, who knows how these players will develop. Um, but yeah, you did need some better selection than uh, what um, Sashi and his team had done. But no, I think the picks on day one have come out really well. I would be amazed if the first hire when the GM listing comes out isn't um, Wolf. I think I'd love to see him there. I think the only way you probably keep him is if Haslam offers up the decision-making to Dorsey, maybe promotes him to sort of team president, bring in um, Wolf Moore as the GM then and just sort of shift the structure to sort of give him the title. But I think the people like Andrew Berry, who's still inside the organisation, it's fantastic having them people on board. Dorsey hasn't come in and stripped it out, which was obviously the fear that from going one way that didn't work for them, then going the other. But uh, no, I, I'm really impressed with what I've seen so far. There's a few moves I don't agree with, but... Uh, now, in terms of day one of the draft, he absolutely killed it. Yeah. Which moves did you not agree with, out of curiosity? Um, I didn't like the Tyrod Taylor trade. I was begging for uh, Teddy Bridgewater. I'd have happily paid him more than he was offered. Um, I didn't like the long-term extension to Landry. I thought it was just far too much money based on his deliverance. Um, but I've, I've set out some targets because he, he is a different receiver than the one we saw in Miami. So... I've been pleasantly surprised so far. I still think we need to get more for what he was given. Um, 
some of the other ones. I wouldn't have even brought Des Bryant in the building. I know they didn't sign him in the end, but I want young players that are going to be here in two, three years' time and continue to move on. I didn't like any of the day two picks. Um, you have to remind me. Who the, I was, I'm oh, a big Austin Corbett fan, um, and Nick Chubb. I think Nick Chubb was, was solid. I, I, I had him – I thought he was really more of a late second to, to early third, personally. That's just me, uh, personally. And Austin Corbett – um, I thought was more of a third a third round player, but mo- I will tell you, most everybody in the league thought very very highly of him. Um, I just, for me, I just wasn't as excited. And I know that he 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 didn't beat out Desmond Harrison, who I think is going to be an excellent left tackle as long as he adds a little bit more strength, keeps getting stronger, and works on technique. I think you have a chance to have a really special one at left tackle. Um, as far as uh, Jarvis Landry, I think Jarvis was important because he, he's a culture changer. And sometimes the stats aren't going to be as important as changing the losing mentality that's in the building. I think Jarvis is bringing in a different energy into not just his meeting room, but the field in general. And bringing in Baker, and John Dorsey, and Jarvis Landry, you got this whole new crew coming in. Sometimes it can be enough to change the energy. And I think Jarvis is a guy who's going to hold guys accountable because he's a really good pro. And to me, that pick, now I don't know if they plan it like this, but I think that could end up being a really important signing because he changes expectations in the building. Early on, we saw that with Hard Knocks, the ability to say, hey, this isn't, this isn't what we do anymore. This isn't good enough, and this isn't what winning teams do. If you're looking at it from a football standpoint, I don't know that he'll ever produce the amount of yardage and statistics you want but I do think he can get you tough catches you know what I mean like a big third down catch in the fourth quarter he's the guy who has the toughness and the mindset to make those so I I think he'll end up being a pretty good a pretty good addition Um, I wasn't crazy about the the amount they paid him either but I think they're getting more than a football player I think they're getting a locker room guy that's going to change culture I think my issue with the Corbett pick wasn't so much what he is it was the fact that we picked him because it was like I looked at the roster uh, before and I said there's no way we're picking a guard we've got Betonio we've got Zeitler we've got holes right. in the roster so no way are we using the first pick on day two to pick up a guard that we don't need so that was my frustration there the Chubb pick I'm very much of the school of thought that I don't want to run him back until day three of the draft I wouldn't pick him um, from the pure perspective if you look at the Bell versus like uh, Bell's backups for the last three years Bell's played two-thirds of the game. The backups have played the other game. The stats are basically the same. I'd much rather draft an O-lineman and you put any old running back in there when you've got the likes of Duke Johnson. It's not a knock on Nick Chubb. And the Chad Thomas, I just, I don't know your views on that, but it just seemed like a bizarre pick. Um, it, now, I, that, now, that's a John Dorsey high-weight speed pick. That's a drafting the athlete type of pick. He wasn't very productive as a pass rusher. But he had good get-off, like physically he was fast, he was explosive, he was long-armed, he looked the part. And I think when you draft those guys, you're hoping that you coach them into the skill that they need so that he could turn those physical traits into measurable uh, sacks and, and production. Uh, to me, I, I, he would flash, but then he didn't do it often enough. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see how he develops along the way. The big concern with him is that he's – He's such a great music producer. I know a lot of people thought that that maybe his passion was with music and not with football. That was, the, you know, what I heard from a couple teams is, is this guy really going to be invested in football 365 days a, a year or not? 
So we'll see how it plays out. Did you expect uh, Chubb to get uh, taken so early in the round two? Yeah, his name was getting hot. Um, I thought he would go inside of the top 40 picks. His name got hot before the draft, so I knew he was going to be headed there pretty early. I must admit, I do agree with Jack's strategy on trying to take him as late as possible. But see that we didn't take uh, Barkley, it was kind of like taking him an early second was quite nice because I, I saw him obviously a lot uh, in the uh, college games and I was quite excited to have him as a Browns as a future potentially good uh, running back. I was happy with him or Sony, to be honest. Yeah, I was a big fan of Sony Michelle, but once he went in the first. And the other big name was uh, Rashad Penny. He was the name that got the hottest before the draft, and he got so hot that he was drafted in the first round. So I think Cleveland, I was a little surprised because they had already added Carlos Hyde by then, right? Yeah. yeah. They already added Carlos Hyde. They had Duke Johnson, who I know they're happy with. You can find a third you know, you can find a third, a veteran back. Backs are easy to find. You can go find a veteran back at some point to add as your third back. So, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, I, if I really believed in Carlos Hyde, now it's easy in hindsight. He's got four, you know, rushing touchdowns. He runs hard. But um, if you really believed in Hyde, I could see where you would have passed on running back until later in the draft. Oh, I like Anito Smith in the fourth round. I was amazed, though, through the whole draft process of early on, I fell in love with Baker. But then I sort of looked at it and it was like, he's never going to come to us. Um, I think he might be the best long term. So I just sort of put it out of my mind and was like, right, it's going to be Darnold. It's going to be Darnold. And then it was sort of the day before the draft, people were like, it's going to be Baker. It's going to be Baker. And I'm just like, I, I refuse to believe it. And just sat there ready for that pick to be made and just went mad when he was drafted. Uh, <laughs> I was so happy it happened. Um, I thought it'd be Chubb as well. I didn't have any doubt that had happened. And then I was really happy because I love PFF and the stat-based, and them guys are saying, no, it's, it's all about your um, cornerbacks and stopping the passing game, and it's not about the pass rush, even though it's more a glamorous position. And, uh, no, it looks positive from the start. But potentially, steal of the draft, Jannard Avery. How did he get to the fifth round? Well, he was – there's a question about, was he a linebacker or an outside – was he a, a true linebacker or an outside rusher? Um, between his first, his junior and senior year, he went from being a linebacker to he went and worked his off season with a guy named Chuck Washington, who was a really good pass rush specialist, you know, former uh, or Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith, who was a really good pass rush rusher with the Atlanta Falcons back in the day, and he he consults with guys as a pass rush specialist, and he started working with Avery. Uh, this junior year after his junior year during the summer. So when he came back, he incorporated some rush skills. So I think some teams he had great workout, by the way, I thought there were times where he didn't always play as physical as, as like heads up as opposed to when he was chasing as he could have. That's kind of nitpicking a little bit, <clears throat> but I do think for me, I was caught between, is he a, linebacker because I didn't think he had great instincts or he is a or is he a raw pass rusher like what is he and do you give him bonus points for being able to do both like do you look at it as oh no he's he's a he's a flex player who can do a little of both so far the Browns have used him in some flex you know situations and um that's another one height weight speed he tested really fast he was a big physical tester and John Dorsey said give me the explosive athlete Antonio Callaway understand his his flaws give me the explosive athlete. Desmond Harrison, a lot of 
a lot of character concerns, but had the talent of a second uh, second round pick. And John Dorsey took a bet on character uh, that his character would hold up and bet on the talent. So, you know, Dorsey took some chances when the draft. Now, I thought this draft is kind of a high risk draft for Cleveland, honestly. Smaller corner with a fourth pick, Baker Mayfield with the first. You take Antonio Callaway, and that's still a dangerous pick. That's still a dangerous pick. You take Antonio Callaway in the fourth. You got Nick Chubb, who's had a major knee injury, leg injury in his background. Austin Corbett coming from a smaller school, who I think they projected to play tackle, and if he couldn't make it a tackle, they could bump him inside to guard or maybe even center. A lot of people see him as a center. So when when I looked at this draft, Chad Thomas, is you're, you're betting on potential more than what you see. Uh, in terms of production. So, yeah, I, you know, there were some elements of this draft that I thought were, were, were fairly risky, but I saw how much upside some of the guys had too. So I understood that's how Dorsey wants that upside. You know, he wants that upside. Where did you see um, – where did you predict Avery to be um, drafted? I thought he was a fifth. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he got drafted where he probably should have been, but he's out. But I recognize that – He's one of those guys that was a plus size, plus athlete player. So those guys, a lot of times, if it clicks with the coaching, they can take off early on. Like they can, they can way outplay their draft grade. And where did you have uh, Chad uh, Thomas to be uh, drafted? Um, I think I ended up with him about the fourth. Okay. Where do you get drafted? Third. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think. I think third, fourth, probably. Um, I'll have to look at my. Um, I have to look at my draft profiles, but because you can find all of them. If you just type a guy's name and just hit draft, my draft profiles will come up and you can see all the stuff I said about those guys. Yeah. But Chad Thomas draft profile, I had a grade of a five. I'm looking at it right here on the trusty phone. Um, I had a grade of 5.61, which is basically has a chance to become an NFL starter. It's more like, and my projection, that's more like I would take that guy on day three. A 5.61 is more like a, a day three pick. Yeah. And uh, my projection, oh, I'm sorry, my draft projection was around 4-5. Four, four so, obviously, he went way earlier than I thought. I just, I saw the physical talent. I just didn't see consistency, and I didn't see enough production. Yeah, it's one of them things I use. So, when, when I hit, see a player, the two sites I pull up is I pull up PFF, and then your profile, if they're sort of a first few years as a rookie, and it's sort of, it's just a good judge to balance it off with a few different sites. Um, you, we hear all the stuff about Callaway, of there was loads of teams sniffing around to draft him, S others saying they were off his board as soon as after the combine. What was sort of the inside gossip on Callaway? And it, it was a very risky pick, but it's one of them picks that I don't mind those sort of picks on day Three, because at yeah. the end of the day, you're looking round six and seven, you don't really expect them to play your roster. I don't know how many teams would have taken him in the fourth round. I think a lot of teams might have – you go in saying he's off our board, and then when he's still there, and you know how talented he is, it's very, very alluring to take that kind of speed and that kind of talent. Last summer when I wrote up my top wide receivers, I had him – um, I think I had him number one initially, and I may have bumped him behind Calvin Ridley, or I may have had him number one. Wow. I thought he was unbelievable. I thought the talent I saw, he crushed Mika Fitzpatrick in uh, the SEC championship game. I saw a really talented player, but, I mean, he had so many off-the-field issues, kept having issues, didn't play at all last year. 
had a, a failed drug test at the combine. I mean, there were so many issues with him that I just – there were some teams who were willing to take chances on character, and even they took him off their board. But then all of a sudden – so I, I think he would have fallen maybe to the fifth, but then somebody would have said, this guy's too good. Let's take a chance. Just like you said – we can cut them if we need to. It's not the end of the world with a fifth-round pick. And, and maybe day three, it's not the end of the world with a fourth-round pick. I know this. I do think he has Pro Bowl uh, talent and potential. But that's still a long way away. Saying talent, I mean, he's got a lot to unlock. But Baker Mayfield loves to throw deep. Um, he is accurate as a deep ball passer. And one thing we saw with Antonio Callaway, if, if Terod Taylor could have thrown the ball at all, there was a touchdown in the first half that he left on the field for uh, uh, for Antonio Callaway because he didn't have enough arm or he didn't throw it early enough and get it out there. Baker will. That's where Baker's really good as a deep ball. I'd argue there was actually two that he left on the field because you had the one um, which uh, Johnson just got a hand to that was underthrown and then Tyrod sort yeah. of tried to blame Callaway. And there was another one where Jarvis Landry ended up making that insane play and it was almost like a five-star dive that he just got the ball over. But if Tyrod had looked down the field, Callaway just burst into complete space, but yeah. he, he's not the sort of player that'd lob it over. And the interesting, so he was he was fast, right? He was fast at the at his workout um, or combine, whatever his four four, low four fours, whatever his time was. I'm here to tell you right now, he might be the fastest player in the NFL on the balls in the air, and we saw that. And his his take time, I thought he was going to run in the four two nine four three one range, and he didn't. And I said that because I saw his speed on tape whenever I studied him for the draft. Now, you saw in that, in that game against the Saints, that's his real speed. Like, he's got a second gear that's very rare. Most people don't have that second gear. So he'll be able to outrun people when the ball's in the air. He can find another speed and, and click it. And that's why he'll be – I think he'll be potentially the most dangerous deep ball threat in the NFL um, by the end of this season. It could be that soon. Lots of people are saying about that Saints uh, TD that if you look at the build-up of the play and where Tyrod's eyes were, he was actually throwing that ball to Jarvis Landry. And it was just the fact that Callaway just put on the afterburners, came in there and just got there so quick. So uh, it, it's an interesting one. No one's uh, in the uh, press group of dared ask Tyrod the question, but uh, it'd be an interesting one to find out one day if he ever uh, lifts the lid. Was it for Tyrod? Uh, to Landry and did uh, Callaway just steam in there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I know this. No one's going to be asking Tyrod that question anytime soon unless he gets to be back in the starting spot. Yeah. Yeah. you got to remember that um, the Browns really wanted uh, Callaway because we actually traded up for him. Yeah. So um, that, wasn't a, that was a trade-up? I know it was the first pick of the fourth round. I didn't know that was – I didn't remember that being a trade-up. So they yeah. must have done that in the morning or at the end of the day the day before. They, it was yeah. in the middle of the draft. I remember them trading up, and uh, I forget who I thought they were trading up for. Um, I forget who I thought they were going for, and then it was, it was a surprise that they went for him. But uh, it, it's looking good so far. It's just how many years you get him before he uh, kicks himself out of the league, I think. That's, that's a concern with him and, frankly, with Des Harrison. Yeah. You know, you got two guys like that. So that's the big concern is it's not just one guy. I mean, both those guys have – special talent for their positions but character is a major concern and if you can keep one of them on the right path you got a chance to get something special if you get both of them you got a chance to be an outstanding AFC team 
Um, I think there's still odds that both of them could end up getting themselves in some trouble at some point. I hope not, but that's what the history tells us, and we'll see if they mature. Just uh, from a completely outside the NFL perspective, we as fans see these people, Josh, add Josh Gordon in there with character concerns. Why don't teams just pay someone 50 grand a year, they've got enough money, just to literally babysit these people 24-7? Because if you can keep that person on the straight and narrow, the upside's incredible. Yeah, I, think, I, think the, I think the better question is, if you have to pay somebody $50,000 to try and hope to keep a guy from doing that, then he didn't have the football character you want anyway. Like, if football doesn't mean enough for him to stop smoking for a certain amount of time, to stop drinking, to stop showing up late, whatever the case may be, is that really who you want? I mean, do you really want to – does everything have to depend on a third party to try to keep them right? I mean, why don't you go get guys with good football character to start with and – and you'll have a much easier go of it. When you have to deal with the Josh Gordons, the, the talent will always tempt you, and it will tempt you into doing something you don't want to do. The New England Patriots said, look, we need guys who can make big plays, and Josh uh, Gordon can make some big plays. But they also know they, – they do this all the time. They can get rid of guys with, with the quickness, and it, it doesn't hurt them. But they also know they really need somebody who can make plays right now. They're desperate. Cleveland does too, but John Dorsey is not going to sacrifice culture for one guy who they've tried and tried and tried and given lots of chances to, uh, the organization, the owner especially. So I think if you have Jarvis Landry in there that you give a bunch of money, and part of that is to change the culture of the locker room, what good are you doing if you're John Dorsey and you hang on to a guy who's not showing up on time to, to practices or they say what quote-unquote wasn't himself when he came in? you got to hold him accountable. So I – you know, I recognize that Dorsey, it was painful to lose a talented player, but it was also necessary if you want to change that culture, that losing culture and losing mentality. You can't let Josh Gordon hold you hostage. You know what I mean? I was Just, happy it was over. What's he done? What's he really done other than flashed a huge two years of huge production and the rest has been mostly trouble? Hmm. Um, and then just finishing off the rest of the draft, um, Ratley. And uh, Damian Ratley, I, I like. Did he make the roster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like Damian Ratley. He's he's not very physical, but he's very fast, good size, height, weight, speed guy, like we talked about. And he had a buzz. His name had a buzz uh, late in the draft. Yeah, we we weren't expecting him. Uh, we didn't really know a lot about him. There's a lot of other names that we were expecting to um, take before him. So he was a bit of a shock for us. And then um, the last one was Sim, uh, Simon Tom Simeon Thomas, uh, the cornerback that's just like a giant. Um, doesn't look natural, his uh, body positions, but he's now on the Seahawks. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of his. I'm looking up Damian Ratley. See, if you guys would have just gone immediately to NFL.com's draft tracker, you would have seen your friend Lance Zerline had a projection of round 6-7 on Ratley. And I said of Ratley that his combination of size, athleticism, and pure speed makes him an intriguing prospect, despite the fact he managed only 47 catches. You're, you guys are getting – like, think about what Dorsey did. Chad Thomas, never had big sack numbers. I'll take him. Damian Ratley, never had – only 47 career catches. That's right, I'll take him. Antonio Callaway didn't play last year. I'll take him. So he took chances on these mega athletes 
because that's what he's usually going to do. That's what makes those – I'm going to go back to the first round again. That's what makes the first two picks of the draft so different is he said, I want proven winners with proven pedigrees and proven production, and I'm going to resist going height, weight, speed, and I'm going to go with those elements, and I'll worry about height, weight, speed later in the draft. So that's how he approached it, which I think shows growth from a general manager standpoint. He's doing things a little differently maybe than he would have in the past. Right. You know, Scott McLuhan, I think, was a big part of that, too. I don't know if you guys talk about that much, but McLuhan loved Baker Mayfield, thought he looked like the next Brett Favre, all that stuff. And when, when Scott McLuhan was brought into the building as a consultant, immediately a lot of people around football thought, hmm, I wonder if Scott McLuhan is going to have enough impact on Dorsey yeah. to turn Baker Mayfield into the pick. And everyone thought, nah, not Baker Mayfield. He's six foot tall. And no way. And I think ultimately McLuhan helped to – to get him on the – I mean, that's Dorsey's pick. But I think he sold them enough to put him on firmly on the radar. And I think once they met uh, – I think that once they met him and they – I think they – I think his personality worked as a, as a positive to the Browns, not a negative. Some people look at him and not, Baker's a douchebag. Baker's this, that, or the other. Baker's a guy with an edge. And having an edge at quarterback is not necessarily a bad thing, especially if you're hyper-competitive and you love football. Um, where did you see uh, Baker going in the draft? What was your prediction? Um, well, I was one of the ones that broke the Baker is going to the Brown stuff a, a couple days early. But, but before then, I thought Baker maybe anywhere – I thought maybe 12, I think, with the uh, Miami Dolphins. I thought that could be a spot for Baker Mayfield. I didn't – I knew he wasn't going to the Buffalo Bills. And you got to remember, there was a, only a certain amount of teams that needed quarterback – um, I did think the Jets was a possibility, too, at four. Yeah, I thought Jets at four or 12 to Miami were the two spots for Baker. That was that was my guess at the time. Yeah, I had him penciled into the Jets all along in my uh, draft board guesses. But, uh, no, I was, I was over the moon. It's uh, Scott McLuhan, when we hired him, I just sat there for, like, a good two hours reading through because it's weird for someone sort of internal buildings in – uh, NFL teams to have tweeted so much and just literally went through every tweet and there was so much like pro Baker stuff. Um, it was like you build your hope up and then the next day you're like, no, it's not. I've just read a piece on Josh Allen's going to be number one and it's just a, it, it was such a, it felt like a seven year process. Um, the space. I think they did like, by the way, I think they did like Josh Allen. I don't think that was just, I think there was some smoke that was put out there by the Browns because they wanted to keep people guessing. But I do think they like Josh Allen. Um, obviously not as much as Baker. And I think Baker was the clear number one for them. But I do think they did like Josh Allen. And I, I thought for a little bit it might be Josh Allen as well. There was a time I was thinking that too. I personally thought Donald was going to be number one. Did you? Yeah. And, um, yeah, moving forward, um, what do you think the Browns need for uh, 2019? Uh, I think you could – find a playmaker on the interior defensive line. That's going to be a big one. Finding somebody who can get penetration and who can be disruptive. Um, but it wouldn't hurt to find another big guy, too, who can really you – know, that's what Danny Shelton was supposed to be. There's been guys who are supposed to be this and supposed to be that, and it just hasn't materialized. But I think if you can get a big physical guy up front to add depth and then one penetrator, um, disruptive interior force – I think that's that's a big one for the Browns. I would also say, 
Um, I would also say probably, I mean, they're in pretty good shape offensively. You know, you, you got pretty good depth along the offensive line. Uh, maybe, maybe Jabril Peppers is playing better. Oh, linebacker. The other one is linebacker. I think you definitely need to improve linebacker too. So to me, right up the middle, linebacker spots and the interior defensive line is where you want to get better. Just in terms of roster construction, as many teams flip to sort of a 4-2-5 base, is there as much need for linebacker or should we be strengthening the um, sort of nickel cornerbacks and putting more picks into that? Because it's sort of, I think it's us and I forget which other team is sort of the only one that hasn't moved over to making sure there's five DBs on the field nearly every snap. Um, I, I personally would love to see that. I'd, I wouldn't have more than two linebackers out there unless it's a run play. You know, actually, now that you say it, I think corner – who are the starting corners for the Browns right now? Mitchell and Ward, who have been phenomenal. Um, I think well, they'll move the third, on. Who's the third corner? It's Gaines, it's TJ um, Carey, or it's uh, Brian Buddy Calhoun, who, despite being no. awesome last season, hasn't done yeah. as well this year. No, no, no. They need a corner. Yeah, corner's another position. I mean, those are the linebacker, corner, because you need to have be able to move Ward inside or outside as a nickel because so many teams are utilizing that slot receiver to do a lot of damage right now. So, yeah, I think finding another legitimate corner is a big is a big need, too, for sure. But I do think they need to get better at linebacker. And I agree with you. They need to make sure that they strengthen the cornerback spot. Because most of the time that you are on the field defensively, more than half of it is going to be in a, in a sub package. So, I think it's important to strengthen where, where your sub package is. Yes. So, I would challenge you on the uh, linebacks. You've got uh, Jamie Collins. Curtsy, Schobert, and obviously Avery, if he plays there. You know, that's a solid uh, linebacker room. I, I, I wonder how long they're going to keep in Jamie Collins, though. Yeah. That's, that's the question I have. And I think a good teams will start drafting behind expensive players with the idea that we're going to get your back, we're going to give you some competition, or we're going to find your replacement for a lot cheaper than you. Because uh, I think with Collins, it's how much are you getting for the money that you're spending. That's why I thought of that. And Kirksey, I think Kirksey's solid. I think uh, Avery is obviously solid. Uh, Schobert's a nice is, is a nice little player. Um, I'd like to see one more true playmaker there. I don't know that Schobert is a big-time playmaker. When I say playmaker, I'm in like the Colts have with Darius Leonard. They got him in the second round. So I think it would be nice if you could add another big-time playmaker, not just a solid linebacker. Go find another guy that can make – a play. Collins, I'm not sure how much longer he's going to be there because it's just too expensive for what you get. He's he's a nice-looking car, but you just don't take it out on the road enough. Yeah, he hasn't produced what he did in New England. I think the Avery pick very much is Collins' replacement. Um, yeah. By the end of the year, Collins will be gone. What are the chances, and I know it's going to be a long shot, of Ed Oliver dropping all the way to the Browns when they pick in the 20 region when Baker goes <laughs> off? Uh, really well. okay. Oh, mate, Baker's here. We're going eight, seven, and one. I think, I think Ed Oliver's going to fall a little bit in the draft. Um, everyone's got him penciled in super, super high. I think the problem is he's six foot and like 275 is what he plays at. I mean, that's really small for an interior lineman. So there's no way around that. He's got to get his weight up into the 290s. He's not going to be any taller than he is. I mean, he's going to be sub six foot. He's going to be a small lineman. Those guys typically don't. Unless you have the power and strength of Aaron Donald, 
and Aaron Donald didn't go inside the first five or six picks. So I know that's going to be the selling point is, hey, he's the next Aaron Donald, but I don't think he's as strong at the point of attack as Aaron Donald. So I think if Oliver could, depending on, you know, which quarterbacks come out this year, I do think there's a chance that um, Ed Oliver could fall a little more than, than people think. I mean, I, I don't know that he's a lock for the first, second, or even third pick. Uh, if Nick Bosa is healthy, I think Nick Bosa gets drafted ahead of Ed Oliver because he's physically, he, he fits the dimensions physically. So um, I think there's an outside chance to, hey, if you're the Cleveland Browns, I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but gosh, with the way Sashi operated, I'm sure they probably have additional draft picks this year as well. Uh, we've only got an extra third from the New England Patriots, which funny enough, looks like it'll be higher than our pick in the third round. Right. And, right. Uh, you've got about 101 seventh round picks that we've picked up from Dorsey keeps moving on talent and everything's a seventh round pick. So uh, I think we've got every pick in the seventh round. So it's not crazy if you wanted Ed Oliver to say, depending on where the Browns are picking to say, we'll give you a first and, and, and our third, whatever the highest third is to move up, you know, uh, four spaces, three spaces to get Ed Oliver if he were to fall to the Browns, depending on where the Browns are drafting, I think it's possible. I, I certainly think it's possible. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really good year to need defensive linemen, though. This is a good defensive lineman draft. Uh, personally, I'd be grabbing the cornerback in the first round and get that DT probably in the second. But uh, mm -hmm. if Ed Oliver's there, I might uh, go a little bit crazy just because that D-line is one D-tackle who can play the three technique away from perfection. So, uh... Lance, are you ready now? For the excitement in the show. Oh, are we doing the bingo? We're doing the bingo, Lance. Hold on. One right. second before we hit the bingo. We need that Browns win total from you. What are you going for? How many wins for the Browns this year? I'm going to go seven. Seven? I think that's a fair yeah. number. No, I've got a the bold the normal prediction is eight, seven, and one. I sort of started the season with five wins, and then Baker came in. And played yeah, no, my number, is, my number is Baker influence for sure. And, but then I've also got the crazy prediction in my back pocket of a Broncos draw and a 7-7-2, seven, seven which... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you see the machine? All right, let me see. Yeah, I can see it. Are you excited? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm very excited. Wow, that's a real... That's a real thing. There we go. Right, the first one is number nine. So, Brown's player with the most yards receiving this season? Jarvis. I'll stick with Jarvis. Where is it? Number two, Brown's player with the most yards carried? Most yards per carry? Uh, most, uh, most rushing yards. Oh, Carlos Hyde. This would have been a much more fun game like two weeks ago if I could have played it. I feel like I'm cheating right now. Well, next, next year we're going to get you on a lot earlier. That's right. And number four, pers uh, Browns player you think is most likely to make the Pro Bowl? Miles Garrett. That's easy. Okay, let's put a twist on that question. All right. Which, which uh, Browns player do you think is... Uh, the, the biggest, uh, sorry, the um, most unlikely to get it, but does get it. Denzel Ward. Denzel 
Ward. I don't think he's unlikely. I think he's the second best chance to make the Pro Bowls. Denzel Ward is taking the ball. All right, excellent. So our favorite question always to wrap it off. What is your very, very, very hot take for the Browns this season? And be as bold as you like, the crazier the better. David Joku wins the title for most touchdowns uh, receiving for the Browns ahead of Antonio Callaway and um, and Jarvis Landry. Wow, that's nice. There's a nice growing theme because last show we had Mark Schofield on that said he's going to be the AFC Pro Bowl tight end. So uh, there's definitely some Njoku love going on. I love it. Let me tell you, Baker, you're going to see a different – He's going. He, Baker's going to take advantage of him. He had Mark Andrews to throw to at, at Oklahoma. And I think uh, Njoku is a more explosive athlete. I think Baker's going to love the new toy that he has with David Njoku. So I think, I think he's going to surprise some people. I can tell you this, I'm super pissed that I dropped him from my fantasy team after – uh, week two on one team, but I did keep him on the other one, so I'm I'm good. Do you think it'd be a waiver in anyone's leagues? Uh, he, he's available in most leagues. Oh, um, so uh, no, you you can pick him up in most leagues. Um, I've got him in dynasty. Um, it's not a bad pairing in my dynasty league. I've got Kelsey and Injoku, so uh, there is some massive talent there at the tight end position. Yeah. Well, Lance, it's been an absolute pleasure you have been on the show. Enjoy We've it. totally gone over Jack's timings. Jack likes to get the show finished in about 25 minutes. I think we're nearly up to an hour. So uh, anyone that wants to talk draft, I'm here all day. That's <laughs> <laughs> too much Premier League talk. That's what it was. Yeah. We so, we're, we're gonna... should never get that much talk. Never <laughs> that much talk for Everton. But no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for coming on. And well, thank uh, you, guys. Enjoy it. Uh, Lance, uh, where can we find your details? You can find me on Twitter at Lance Zerline, Z-I-E-R-L-E-I-N. And you can find, uh, I handle all of the NFL draft profiles on the NFL draft tracker. So um, you'll start to see some of my draft stuff, draft articles start popping up probably later this fall. So you can find me on NFL.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. Well, I just want to finish up by saying change is happening. The change at the Browns is happening, Lance. I can feel it. Thank you very much for your time. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you.